I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll continue our study of Matthew's account of Holy Week. And this morning we'll be reading verses 1 through 10 of Matthew 28 under the heading of Tell of the Savior's Love. He is risen. Tell of the Savior's love. He is risen. From Matthew 28, the first ten verses. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and His clothing as white as snow. And for fear of Him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and they took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell My brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see Me. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. May we receive it with a believing heart. Blessed congregation, the open tomb testifies that the Savior is not here. The Scriptures tell us, even this Easter morning, that our Savior, your King, Your Lord is not dead. He is risen just as He promised He would. As we come this Easter morning to Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, isn't there a noticeable absence here at the tomb? Where are the disciples of Jesus? His closest friends and students. During my studies of, in preparation for this sermon this week, I learned that 21 times in the Gospel accounts, Jesus foretold His disciples of His eventual death and resurrection on the third day. 21 times He taught them. When we read Matthew's account of the resurrection, we are supposed to be asking, where are these disciples? Why aren't they there? And I wonder, congregation, if they're missing, not just because 
It's hard to believe in the resurrection of Christ. But I wonder if they're missing because of fear this morning. How could they face the Lord that they just betrayed? Think about it. How could Peter anxiously wait at the mouth of the tomb of the man he just denied three times? How could the disciples rejoice in the resurrection when they couldn't stay awake with Him at Gethsemane? Remember, ten of them weren't even with Christ while He hung upon the cross. Only John. Maybe it crossed their mind, if He does truly rise, will He be the same loving and gracious Redeemer that we knew Him to be? This is what so struck me about Matthew's account of the resurrection. You see, Luke focuses on the facts. Who was there? Who could testify? Who saw? But Matthew focuses on the heart of Christ. Look at those words with me of Jesus. Greetings. Do not be afraid. That is that Jesus' first words after His resurrection are words of peace. Words of forgiveness. Words of love. He was not just loving until the cross and then cold and austere in His resurrection. He is not just a Savior on earth and a judge in heaven. But as John Bunyan says, the love in Christ decays not. He is always loving. Always forgiving. And always bringing peace. As Gavin Ortland put it, the resurrection is also part of the Gospel. This is the good news. The Savior died, but He was also raised out of love for sinners. That's what I want to show you this morning, this Easter Sunday morning, our theme, the empty tomb, not just the cross, but the empty tomb also speaks to Christ's great love for sinners. There's three characters in the story. We want to see each character and what they bring to this story. We want to see the women's loyalty. We want to see the angels' commands and the Lord's love. The women's loyalty, the angels' commands, and the Lord's love. And so we start with the women. We read in Matthew 28, verse 1, that there are two women... Mary Magdalene and somebody calls some or what Matthew calls I should say the other Mary. And as we've been going through the Matthean account of Holy Week, you may have noticed that these women seem to turn up whenever Matthew is talking about Jesus last week on earth. We see that as Mary or excuse me as Jesus is carrying his cross to Golgotha, who was there but the women? 
following Him. As we then turn to the crucifixion, we read that while the disciples are not there, these two women are there. We read on Good Friday the burial of Christ. Who is there? But Mary Magdalene again and the other Mary. And here we come to the story of the resurrection. And what do you know? Here is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary again. Commentators have noticed their repetition throughout the story and have even gone so far as to say that really this last two chapters, if they were about anybody other than Christ, it would be about these two women. Matthew seems hyper-focused on them. Luke, likewise, says that when they went home after Jesus was taken down from the cross and buried, that they went home that Friday evening before the Sabbath and began to make preparations to anoint Jesus' body. That's loyalty. Loyalty to Christ. But who are these women? Mary Magdalene, of course, was introduced to Christ early in His ministry. We're told in Luke chapter 8 that Mary Magdalene comes in contact with Christ while she was being tormented, possessed by seven different demons, and Jesus cast them out of her. And ever since then, she's been a faithful disciple of Christ. The other Mary, we don't know as much about her, but we're told that she's the mother of somebody named James and Joseph. But again, we see her all throughout these last two chapters indicating that she also is a faithful disciple of Christ. And in many ways, these women are exemplified as the faithful disciples of Christ. Look at verse 1 with me. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. What we, the impression we're given here when it says the dawn of the first day is that they're going at the first opportunity. The whole Sabbath, they're itching to get out. And as the sun is rising, it says in the other Gospels, while it's still even dark out, they are on their way to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus' body. And it's true. Sometimes we as preachers can pick on Bible characters. It is true that we could nitpick their faith this morning. That they're going there to anoint His body for burial, not to greet the resurrected Lord. They share with the male disciples a failure to understand Jesus' teaching of the resurrection but I don't want you to overlook this morning the love that they have for Jesus. Don't overlook the loyalty that they have to their rabbi. They are so captivated with this man. Mark in Mark 16 tells us they didn't even have a plan 
to move the stone away. As they're walking there, they're asking, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But they don't don't care. They're still going. Out of love for Christ. Just an opportunity to see their Lord once more. Even if He was dead. Congregation, is this not faith? A trusting in something that is not seen. A wholehearted trust in Christ. It might be little faith. Is it weak faith? A faith that doesn't fully understand? The answer is yes. But remember what Jesus taught us in Matthew 17 about little faith. That the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Can the faith of a mustard seed move the stone in front of Jesus' grave? In faith, they come to the tomb. And I want to show you a principle that the Bible always teaches us this morning. That whenever somebody with faith trusts in the Lord, God always answers whether it's little faith, weak faith, faith that doesn't fully understand, He always responds graciously. And look, their faith is rewarded. But it was in a way they never anticipated. Verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. Just like we saw on Good Friday, there's this great earthquake that begins to rock the earth. It rocks the earth in such a way that the rock that they rolled in front of the tomb we read about on Friday is rolled all the way over to the side and the angel sits down on it. Congregation, we should know by now, if you were here on Good Friday, that when the Bible records an earthquake, it means that God is speaking. It means the Lord is saying, listen up! I'm about to tell you something. Behold, Matthew records, He is not here. He is risen. And the angel removed the stone not to give Jesus an opportunity to come out, but to give the women an opportunity to go in and to see where He lay. Christ always answers those who seek Him in faith. They come in faith to the tomb. They find it open and the angel sitting upon it. But Matthew hasn't let us off the hook yet. Where is the body of our Lord? This Easter Sunday, there's so many wonderful Easter hymns, aren't they? 
One of the ones I think about a lot as we come to this Easter time, my grandfather's favorite, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. One of the things that we see here in Luke, or excuse me, Matthew 28, verse 2, is that the angel rolled back the stone and then sat upon it. When you sit down on something, it indicates that you have some authority to do so. Remember, we saw recently in the ascension of Christ, He sat down at the right hand of God. He had authority to do so. The angel sits down on the rock, indicating that Christ has overcome the grave. As one of the ancient church fathers said, everything Christ touched on earth, He redeemed. He touched the grave. He lay in the grave. And now the grave is sanctified. It's redeemed. He lives. And because He lives, I don't need to fear the grave. Because He lives, I don't need to fear death. He has sanctified it. And its open mouth stands not only for Him, but it stands also for me. You know, most people in this life have to live this life to the fullest because this is the only life they'll ever get. But as the hymn says, because He lives, I don't need to fear. I can face tomorrow. I can live this life in service of Him, not myself. Because He lives. Because He's conquered all. I need not fear. You know, another thing I love about this Easter story, I note it, I comment on it every year, is the prominence that it gives to the women. Remember that the prevailing culture in which these women lived was highly patriarchal. It was so patriarchal, which means that they valued men over women. Uh, might be a rough translation, but that's essentially what it means. It was so patriarchal that women's testimony was not even admissible in court. Yet our Lord doesn't think of women that way. Christian ladies, look how highly Christ values you this morning. Daughters of the risen King, princesses of Jesus, if you will. How highly He esteems you to give women the first words after the resurrection. John 20, it says Jesus even wiped away Mary Magdalene's tears. And to allow you to be the first worshipers of the resurrected King. Ladies, your loyalty to Christ is in no way small or insignificant. Whether you are a single woman in the workforce, whether you are up at night with the baby, or you are watching the grandchildren, even small faith, this passage teaches us, can move mountains. And ladies, you are called just as much as the men to tell of the Savior's love. See, that's our second point. 
Notice the angel's commands in verses 5-7. through The angels appear to the Marys and give them four distinct commands. These commands in the Greek we call imperatives, which mean that you could put an exclamation point at the end of them. Four commands. Four imperatives. Come. See. Go. And tell. And these commands are just as important for us as they were that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. See, imagine with me this morning in your minds walking through a graveyard early in the morning by yourself. And suddenly there's a great earthquake and a great crash as the stone falls over. And then like a beam of lightning, there's an angel sitting on that very stone. How would you react? You see, they're not the only characters in the story we see in verse 4. I think most of us might act like the guards. Trembling. Fainting. But look at the angel's words. Do not be afraid. The words of the angels here are actually what we call emphatic, which means we could translate it as, don't you be afraid. Even though the guards deserve to be afraid. Even though all the disciples have scattered even though this world has rejected Christ and forsaken Him, you, Marys, don't need to be afraid. Stop weeping, says Luke, and rejoice. Why? Because the Jesus who was crucified is not here He is risen. See, if Jesus was not risen, you know what the angel would have said? Be afraid. It was all for nothing. Be afraid. Satan is one. Be afraid. There is no salvation. But the angel proclaims, don't you be afraid, you who love Him and have faith in Him and trust Him. You who walked behind Him as He carried His cross. You who saw the Master nailed to the tree. You who stood at the foot of the cross for six hours. You who saw Him buried in the tomb. For three days He lay there, but yet who are nonetheless trusting in Him. Don't you be afraid. Because when the sun came up that Easter morning, his heart began to beat. His cold flesh became warm. His eyes began to flutter. His lungs began to breathe. And as the sunlight fell on that Israeli countryside, your king, 
your Lord, your Savior, stood up in the grave. You do not need to be afraid. And He doesn't stand weak, exhausted, or humiliated. But He stands exalted and glorified. The only man to taste death and overcome by His own power. In His hands, Revelation tells us, He holds the keys to death and Hades. He took the chains of death and He broke them apart. He stood in that grave as the champion of His people. The the, uh, Savior of His church. It is as if when the angel said, don't you be afraid, the angel could have just said, He did it for you. He did it for you. So come and see. Could you imagine an angel standing in front of you, the earthquake, the lightning? Come on in! They have every reason not to go in. But they go in to the tomb for the love of Christ. And see the place where he lay. The angels knew when they saw the tomb, there could only be one conclusion that Jesus' body was not there. And John 20 tells us that in the place where Jesus was, there were linen bandages, which would have been another proof that the disciples weren't here. He was not robbed or taken by a robber because they would not take the linens off and lay them so nicely. But the women realized, just like Peter and John will realize when they come to the tomb, that the Lord has been restored to life. That He removed the linens and calmly and majestically put everything back in its place. And the conclusion we draw from Matthew 28 is that when they came in and saw that they believed. So then this third and fourth command, go quickly and tell the disciples that He has risen from the dead. Here's the great command of the passage. Go and tell of the Savior's love. This marvelous message It it must be shared. He is risen. That there is something life-changing. There is something powerful, astonishing. Good news must be shared. Allow me to give you an illustration this morning. This afternoon, some of you with young children may do an Easter egg hunt. Now parents, has your child ever found an Easter egg and not told you about it? Or tell you about how many they got? See, when our hearts are delighted by good news, we share that news with others. If Jesus has truly been raised from the dead, it is the greatest news ever. 
And His resurrection proves that the God of the Old Testament is God. It proves that Jesus is His Son and He is our Savior. That His death has been accepted as the atonement of our sins and that all who believe upon Him are made as white as snow. It's a tremendous message. And so I bid you this morning, come, see, but leave it not there. Go. Tell of the Savior's love. And the women do just that. We read in verse 8, they depart quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell His disciples. And so they're leaving the tomb. They're rushing towards where the disciples were. And I want you to see here our final point, the Lord's love. William Hendrickson said this, for the church to believe that Jesus rose from the dead is fine. He says, but it's not enough. We should also consider what kind of Savior rose from the dead. See, the Marys are running back to the disciples to tell them this news. But in no uncertain terms, When Jesus needed His disciples most, they failed Him. I wonder how Peter would have felt when Mary came to him and said, the man he just denied three times is alive. Must their guts have wrenched a little bit when the ten disciples who left Him on the cross for six hours found out He is alive. Wouldn't we wonder, is He still the same loving Redeemer? And I don't know how to better describe the Savior's words in verses 9-10 through than love. The women are rushing off to find the disciples and we read in verse 9, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. This word can be translated even as rejoice. You have to ask the question, why would He have such a strange introduction? And I think it's because He's intimating here that there is cause for rejoicing this Easter morning. Rejoice! I'm alive! No matter what happens to us in this world, no matter what pain and suffering befall us, those things are not worthy to be compared to the joy that is before us because He lives. Rejoice exceedingly. They fall on the ground and worship Him. But notice how touching His words are to His disciples. Do not be afraid. Go and tell, and look at these two words, my brothers. What a statement from Christ. They are still my brothers. 
He doesn't say, go tell those quarrelers. Those men who promised to be loyal to Me and fled when I needed them the most. He says, go to My brothers. Go to My family. The people whom I love. How deep, how long, how wide is the love of Christ that we can never exhaust His love with our sinfulness? As Bunyan says, His love never decays. And the tomb stands as the testimony of His great love. It's the cross where Jesus paid for our sins. But it's the resurrection that sets us free. Tim Keller gives this illustration of the resurrection. He says if you're in a large department store and you purchase an item in the back where the cashiers are, you know, towards the back of the store, and you get to the front and the security man asks you about the items that are with you, what do you do? Well, you whip out your receipt, right? And you say, look, this proves that I've paid the price in full. And with that, you're free to go. It is as if Jesus is saying here, look at the resurrection. God has stamped upon your life and across human history, paid in full. Paid in full. Likewise, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. But the inverse of that means that if Christ is raised, we are not in our sins. This is why Christ is able to call them My brothers. The debt has been paid in full. And so Christ tells them not to be afraid. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Every Easter, we must ask this question. And it's a very simple question. Why? Why would the God of heaven, the Prince of all creation, condescend so from heaven to earth, born as a baby in a manger, live a perfect life, suffer and die, and then raise, be raised from the dead? Why? And you see the conclusion of this chapter. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw them, they worshipped him. And some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, Look at this all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go into the world and tell of Christ's love. That He is risen. Why did Christ come? Because He loves ruined sinners such as us. Why did He die? He loves ruined sinners. He was resurrected, we are told, because He loves ruined sinners. When the brothers heard this news, we're told again in John 20, they ran to the tomb. And when they got there, it says they saw and believed. It's these testimonies that Jesus' death and resurrection are not accidents, but they are the evidence of the gospel truth. That God so loves the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but of everlasting life. Come this morning. Come and see the tomb. Come and see that He is not here. He is risen out of love for us. The cross and the tomb are both the proof. Now go and tell of the Savior's love. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we give You thanks for the empty tomb whose mouth stands open wide even this day reminding us of the Savior's great love. He was not resurrected as cold and angry towards His disciples, but with a tender heart towards sinners like them. How He would even go to the disciples and appear to them is not recorded in Matthew, but He would go and appear to Thomas, to the other brothers, just to prove to them how His tender heart. Father, we pray that we would see not only the empty tomb this morning, but we would also see the Savior who has loved us, gave Himself for us, and was also resurrected for us. Him we worship this day in Christ's name. Amen.